Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. <laughs> this is a music history podcast where I am largely failing to teach Mika all about American music history. And I may or may not have ADHD. I probably don't. I don't think it's that. I think it's just other things. Other things like not caring. Yeah. Yeah. And just general exhaustion. Yeah, that's a good factor. Okay, well, follow us on social media. Twitter.com slash soundofhistory underscore. We don't post much on there, but if you have been following us, then you saw that I released a book. Yeah. So you can go onto our Twitter and see the link to that and learn more about it. It's cute. It's fun and was not at all stressful. It was the most stress-free day of your life, wasn't it? Yes, it was great. It was really good and nothing went wrong the whole day. I would not recommend doing a book release through an independent publisher and or not doing that on your birthday. If yeah, you prefer we like to have, the independent publisher. Yeah, they're great. But like through an indie publisher, things are not going to be completely smooth because they're still working out kinks and that's to be expected. But if you want your birthday to be low stress, don't do that on your birthday. Don't do it on your birthday. You heard it here, folks. Also, ASMR moment. Oh, no. Why? Why are you doing <laughs> that, that was, was great. <laughs> that was awesome. Why do you have a plastic water bottle during... <laughs> it's just going to be crinkling the whole time. All right. Well, that's all I had. We're talking about disco today. But first... Mika is a host now. There you go. I got to give people a teaser so they stick around through Mika as the host now. What? Like, this isn't entertaining <laughs> enough? I Sometimes resent that, sir. <laughs> I resent that a lot. Sometimes it's you just going, I don't know. I'm a fascinating nothing, person. And then we're done. <laughs> even even when it's nothing, I am fascinating. That's true. Thanks. I'm going to take a swig of water now. <laughs> Does that count as a mouth sound? Yes. Like, you know how people don't like mouth sounds? I think so. I think it counts. You think? Well, not. I don't think not so. Not if you just do. Ah, that's just not. That's just an ah. But if it's but, like gulp, gulp, gulp. Yeah, if it's like a, or ah. with like a that into an ah, which it normally is, then yes. You that was weird. You are the one who brought the weird mouth sounds. I Let was it trying just to be exaggerate known. it so it could like people would know what I was talking about. Okay. Fascinating, fascinating <laughs> things. What else do you have to fascinate us with? I read your book and it was cute. Highly recommend if you want a quick, easy read. And it's really just endearing and sci-fi. And yeah. So if you or a young adult in your life want to read a book, it's a good book. My mom said it was about friendship and self-worth. Which, yeah, basically. It is. <laughs> See, cute, endearing, but like robots. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> they aren't robots. Why? What's the different? What's the difference between AI and a robot? Robots have a body. AIs don't. Mmm. Yet. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Is that where the story is going? No. Oh. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I hurt my foot. I didn't like that. Ooh, this season of Big Brother is very fun. We're having a lot of fun with that. That is true. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Mika no longer the host now? Mika no longer the host now. All right. Well, do you remember what we've been talking about? For the past few episodes. Young man. Da, 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 boo, da, no. boo, boo. We have not been talking and about the Joni Mitchell. Ba, boo, da, boo, de, boo, boo. <laughs> hey, Megan was playing a Joni Mitchell album when we hung out the other night. Cool. It was really cool. I was like, I know her. <laughs> yeah, personally. Yeah. You've talked to her. Yeah. I mean, you just, it was the album with, with her and like the cat. 
And I don't know if there's a cat there on the album, but I like. I think that's Carol King. I think it's Tapestry. Damn. <laughs> so close. Never mind. I, I th- any, we'll look it up. We'll make sure. But I think you're thinking of Tapestry. I just Googled Tapestry as if it would know. <laughs> uh huh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So it was Carol uh-huh. King. <laughs> okay, never mind. But close. They're similar, they were friends. Joni Mitchell's not going to be my friend now. Only Carol King? Yeah. Okay. Just because yep. I messed it up. So we were talking about uh, soft rock and singer-songwriter. That's been our past few. We've been there for a while, and now we're doing a drastic change in tone to disco. Da-da, da-da-da-boo-da-boo-boo. I feel like everyone has a general idea about what disco is in their own minds. Mm-hmm. So what is your definition of disco? Uh, it's just all part of the vibe. <laughs> Disco's I, I a vibe. I can't define. I can't. Yes. I can't define. I don't know the music necessarily. I don't know the defining characteristics of the music, but it's what's playing when you have an afro and you're wearing daisies and you're going like this and you're s- roller skating but like with the four skates specifically okay so that's that so is roller skating, skating not roller blading right and your glasses are different colors and john lennon's there even though he's not <laughs> disco but like he's just he's at the every vibe. disco party yeah he just and that's what he did when he loved the beatles he just went balls. around <laughs> Just tour disco parties. Tell me that he's not at a disco party. He's probably he is. been to one or two. He is. Or had been to one or two. Currently. Uh. Currently. <laughs> right now. I don't know about that. That's how he spends his Sunday evenings. Anyway, that's disco. You can, We can be done now. Do you know John Lennon's dead? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if you were making a joke or if you just forgot that he was dead. <laughs> A little bit of both. <laughs> I can't do one of them was. Yeah, he is but not, I routinely he is not currently spending his Sunday evenings. How at do disco you know that? You don't know. Dead. You don't know that there's not disco parties in the afterlife. That's, that's it fair. might be one big disco party. That okay? That's fair. Well, disco is like at its most basic a genre of dance music. But it's also its own subculture. It's a vibe. Its own vibe. Yeah. It is commonly seen as a fad, which it kind of was, and is one of the most short-lived musical phenomena in history. But its impact was massive. Most dance and club music after it has been heavily impacted by disco, and everyone still knows about it, despite it like not being popular for 50 years or however long it's been now. Just because it's a vibe. Sure. Disco was a prominent form of dance music in the 70s. It got its name from the clubs that first started playing it that were called discotheques. Why? I thought that discotheques were named after disco. Nope. Other way around. But why? I think we get into it, but it's European. It was... Is it like Biblioteca? Yeah, actually. If I'm remembering correctly, I I, I really hope I get into it. Because it had a Don't cool... It's like... The disco and it, we'll see if we get into it. If not, we'll have to look it up. You have to remind me where the name Discotech came from. But it's something like a library of records is what it, like the official name is. Oh, okay. So it's like... I mean, I know that like Biblioteca is not, but like it seems like it's all like Latin. Yeah. It's probably just, I think, like Italian, French, which are all Romance languages, which is, comes from Latin. Okay. Anyway, the music was beat-driven and repetitive, making it very easy to dance to. It was kind of the dance music successor to funk, which we talked about a while ago. A lot of the top artists of the 70s played disco music, including ABBA, the Bee Gees, Earth, Wind & Fire, KC and the Sunshine Band, and the Village People. I don't know Village People. (laughs) You've been singing their song since we started recording. (laughs) The YMCA. Is the village people. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Although the artists get a lot of credit for disco, the producers working behind the scenes played a large part in developing the traditional musical styles of disco. The music was very layered, with soaring vocals, horns, a chicken-scratch rhythm guitar, electric pianos and synthesizers, and repetitive beats. I'm on board. The rhythm is generally a syncopated bass line. I'm on board. Artists would use a wide variety of orchestral instruments to create a melody line, and most disco songs have a 4-4 beat. I think I like disco. (laughs) I think think so, too. I think that you just named a lot of things that I enjoy in music. It's always really interesting to me when I'm writing these and just seeing like everything we've talked about up till now and how it like enters like a syncopated bass line. That's ragtime from way back in the day. That's what people were like developing on ragtime on the piano. Mm-hmm. And then like the horn section is very jazz and big band and soaring vocals is very like early 70s metal. I don't know. Like just a lot of intersection of stuff. <laughs> it's just cool. It's cool You're to see smart. how it all interacts. A lot of musical styles use similar elements to disco, but what differentiates disco from something like rock music is the vibe, which also traditionally uses syncopated rhythms in a 4-4 beat, is the four on the floor of the bass drum. Do you know what that means? Hold on. Let me think about it. I can't really think of like a song that like specifically like has a hard beat on the on the four. That's not what it means. Okay. It means that the bass drum hits every beat, not just the fourth one. Okay, that does make more sense. I think everyone is somewhat familiar with what disco music sounds like, but we'll be playing some examples in this episode anyway, so we can kind of get more of a feel for it. So that's kind of just like a brief overview of what disco is. I know you like more of the musical technical elements, so I always try to incorporate that. Yeah, I liked that part. Where it can be more easily defined, unlike singer-songwriter. So now, you ready to get onto the actual history of where it came from? Where did it come from? Disco can be seen as a reaction against the counterculture of the 60s and the mocking of dance music that typically happened within that culture. So it's like... Oh... Wait, what's that? Ter- it's like, it's like post-irony. Sure. It's a counterculture of a counterculture. Yeah. Which makes We kind of are a, doing that now. Just a culture, I think. That's kind of yeah. like, that's kind of like what humor is now a little bit. Yeah. Ironic. No, it's like post-ironic. Okay. <laughs> it is. It's another layer. Okay. I believe you. But disco also came about basically in tandem with the psychedelic rock culture. During the 60s, the younger generation had a lot of stuff to be worried about. Some of it is going to sound very familiar to us. Racism, homophobia, war, soaring crime rates, unemployment, etc., etc. It's really like not a lot changed, actually. (laughs) It's like it changed and then went right back to bad. Uh, It's just cyclical. Some of it did. Yeah, I feel like like everything economic yeah. cycles. And for a while, we were not super war-torn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Middle East might beg to differ, but we weren't really involved there until like the 80s. I don't know. I don't know either. I can't talk about war. I don't know. Especially if you were a member of the marginalized class, like the LGBTQ community or a person of color, it could be hard to find safe places back then. Whoa. Yeah. I do feel like we're a little bit better with that now. I feel like it's, they're still marginalized. It's still Mm. way harder for them, but it's easier for them to find places that they can belong in. Yeah. People are, people are creating those safe spaces more. And it's easier with the internet too, to be connected into places far easier. But back then they didn't have that. So dance clubs, especially in New York City, became those safe places. They became places for people to get their mind off of things, to just escape for a bit and have some fun for the night. During the 1960s, a European style of dance club started to get popular. It was called discotheque dancing, and clubs popped up in major U.S. cities, most notably New York, but also Miami and L.A. At the time, these clubs weren't playing what we would now call disco. They were playing R&B, soul, funk, and other primarily African-American genres. 
Also in the 60s, these types of clubs started to adopt elements of psychedelic subculture. They started to use overpowering sound systems, freeform dancing, drugs, and light shows to enhance the experience. You tracking? I'm tracking. Okay. The origin of discotheque clubs is actually kind of interesting. During World War II, cities in France frequently had nightclubs that would feature jazz bands. When the Nazis took over, they instituted a ban on live music. Why? Literally? Just no fun. (laughs) Like, you know, you know that everything is awful and horrible. And then it's just like, why did any... Oh, my goodness. Like, how do you have the mental capacity to be, like, the most racist ever and be, like, also no music? Like, dancing leads to rebellion. Oh, my goodness gracious. Like, wow. I don't know why that just surprised me. I didn't realize (laughs) that they were, like, no fun also. (laughs) Like, how did they get any young people on their side? Racism. Okay, continue. They also probably didn't in France. They were just mostly German. And Italian or whatever. In Paris, though, they decided to keep the clubs going, and they used records instead of live bands. The word discotheque means, quote, library of phonograph records in French. So that that's where that came from. Like, instead of a band, instead of a big band, or the kind of like Roaring Twenties vibe we would think of, it was just records, because that's what they were allowed to use. Which is weird that like that <laughs> that was okay, but live bands weren't. Yeah. Different dance clubs in New York started to use the Parisian model. One club called Arthur featured a DJ who was the first person to play two records at the same time, creating nice. a mix. Get it, Arthur. <laughs> but the disco culture really came from the underground gay clubs in New York City, like The Loft, Tenth Floor, Flamingo, Twelve West, and others. These were the places in the early 70s that brought in open drug use and nonstop all-night dancing. We have a flamingo. I wonder if it's like a nod. Maybe. Because I think that was one of the the bigger ones for sure. So maybe. But that kind of like open, welcome drug use, nonstop dancing all night was the background of the disco culture. It sounds like a party. The non-partnered dance style allowed people of all genders, races, and sexualities to escape for a while and do whatever they wanted. I love it. I love it. Most people put the start of disco at private dance parties hosted in DJ David Mancuso's house. On Valentine's Day of 1970, he needed money to pay the rent on his downtown loft. So he threw a party where people were encouraged to donate to the host. That's so fun. These things happened quite often, and they were often called rent parties. Oh, my God. About 100 people showed up to that first party. Holy cow, to one loft? In his little loft, yeah. The parties were invite-only and non-commercial, which meant they were safe for the gay community. I guess just that since it was a donation thing, like he wasn't technically making money off of it. So he could have anyone he wanted because it was just a party. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a bar. It wasn't a club. It was just his loft and people would donate rather than pay him to get in. Yeah. So that's what non-commercial means in that context. Eventually these parties became more and more popular and he started calling his house the loft. It was an unofficial but legal underground nightclub. I love it. That business model inspired many other similar clubs. Mancuso had an insane sound system that was considered to be one of the best in New York, if not the world. Because even like before he started doing these parties, he was a big audiophile, so he just had like incredible speakers for just random reasons. <laughs> Instead of using a popular technique known as beat matching to switch songs, he preferred to let songs play in their entirety. One of the one of the attendees of these parties said, "Quote." It was probably about 60% black and 70% gay. There was a mix of sexual orientation. There was a mix of races, mix of economic groups, a real mix where the common denominator was music, end quote. I like this guy. Yeah, he's cool. Mancuso operated the loft under the idea that music could be more than just background noise at a party. He preferred songs with a more driving rhythm, but his one requirement was that the words had to impart a sense of hope pride or redemption 
The very first party he hosted was called, quote, Love Saves the Day, <laughs> since it was on Valentine's Day, and it was to save his rent for his loft. Gosh. Mancuso continued to host parties at the loft for 30 years. It switched locations. It wasn't always <laughs> at that same downtown place. Yeah, he probably needed a little bit more <laughs> space. <laughs> but he unfortunately passed away in 2016. Mm. Gloria Gaynor, who was one of the first disco stars, said, quote, I was out in the clubs in New York City in 1971-72, feeling the pulse, knowing what was going on, end quote. In 1974, she released one of the first disco hits called Never Can Say Goodbye. It was one of the first records mixed exclusively for club play. You ready to hear Never Can Say Goodbye? I am such a fan of what's happening. <laughs> Also stunning. It was around this time that disco started to move out of the clubs and into the national spotlight. Other disco artists started to score hits, like Rock the Boat from the Hughes Corporation in 1974, and Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting, which is one of the best-selling songs of all time. I do not think of it as disco, but I see it <laughs> yeah, now. it is. Oh. <laughs> uh. George McRae had a disco song in the UK that hit number one called Rock Your Baby. I think that he means like your 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 partner. Maybe. Like, yeah. And not your baby baby. <laughs> You're you saying you rock shouldn't your, rock your baby baby? Like, you can rock your baby baby, but I'm just just taking a shot in the dark that it's it's a play on words and that it's actually like kind of sexual. Probably. I think that's fair. Yeah. That's just my guess. <laughs> well, in 1978, Gloria Gaynor would release probably her biggest hit called I Will Survive. That's her? Yeah. Oh, it shut up. Became a symbol for the feminist and the gay rights movements. Here she is clear. I Will Survive. I don't think she is. I don't know, but I don't think so. I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights Why did we move away from this style of music, actually? Why it's was it coming back? It's so good. Harry's got a lot of disco themes in his. I know. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. I should have changed that stupid lock. I should have made it's you so leave your key. If I thought for just one second, you'd be back to bother me. Lord, now go. Walk out. Hope and the redemption that Mancuso wanted in his life. Right, that's I Will Survive. The disco culture also created dance dances that songs helped to name. In 1975, Van McCoy released a song called The Hustle. And in 1977, Joe Tex released Ain't Gonna Bump No More. <laughs> 
which introduced the wider public to the popular dance moves known as the hustle and the bump. So basically, these were like... I'm tracking. Okay. There were dances that people were already doing and yeah. then somehow just got tied to these songs. It's great. <laughs> Even though like the songs didn't invent it. They just gave it a name. The hustle was kind of more of a catch-all term used for a lot of different dances. Van McCoy sent his partner to a popular discotheque in New York City and ended up producing a ton of disco hits after that trip. His song, The Hustle, created basically a disco line dance and kind of solidified what The Hustle was. So fun. The 1977 movie Saturday Night Fever showed two different versions of the dance. The line dance version and also the one that's like a partner dance. Mm -hmm. Here is the song, The Hustle. We get to watch them dance? I think so. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, it's the official music video. Should. Who knows what that meant back in the 70s. PowerPoint transition vibes going on here. <laughs> we should bring the hustle back. I'm sorry, D. When was the last time you saw someone dancing the hustle? All the time. You don't know where I go. <laughs> Me going to Dick's, like the next time we go line dancing, requesting the hustle instead of all the country line dances. <laughs> Very simple lyrics. I love it. I love it. <laughs> 1975 also saw the rise of Sounds one... Sounds like sim music. It does. <laughs> 1975 also saw the rise of one of the most popular and influential disco bands, KC and the Sunshine Band. I know them. Do you know any of their songs? Probably. <laughs> you just can't name them right now? Right. Okay. That's fair. You probably do. In 1973, Harry Wayne Casey, who was known as Casey, just Casey, like Kansas City. Yes. Worked at a record store and worked part-time as an assistant at TK Records near Miami. He met Richard Finch, who was engineering records for TK. The two decided to start a band and created a musical partnership that would be super influential. They, write, they wrote songs for other musicians before eventually forming Casey and the Sunshine Band. They were soon joined by two 2K... TK Studio Musicians. <laughs> that was a hard sentence to get out. The band was originally heavily inspired by something called a Junkanoo Parade. And I am very sorry if I mispronounced that because it's a very important thing. <laughs> Still, what I, is it? It's a parade that happens every year on Boxing Day in the Bahamas and in cities across the U.S. with heavy Caribbean populations. I think... I, like it's just like a celebration of something. I'm not really sure what, but it's very like Caribbean. Hmm. The influence helped set them apart from other disco bands because they were getting more of that Latin flair that kind of like the New York ones didn't have. Hmm. In late 1973 and early 1974, they released two singles that did well enough for their label that TK Records wanted a follow-up single and an album. Here is their first single that did well. It's called Blow Your Whistle. Hey, what's That's definitely not sexual. <laughs> <laughs> hey, That's Casey. Casey can get it. Not gonna lie. <laughs> look at those. Look at those cheekbones. Yeah. Also had a sunshine band. You see how this is a little bit more, a little more Caribbean than the New York stuff I listen to. Cowbell. That's literally it because Madison and Blake were telling us about like about how they have that beer that's called Calic because of the cowbell. Oh, yeah. 
That's literally the like Bahamian. The drums thing. are more for me too. I don't know. There's just something about like it just it feels more Latin than. Yeah, it is. It's the percussion. Yeah. So okay, the actual full story um, is that well, it's not a full story or anything, but like the cowbell is like. I don't know, just a sound in like the Bahamas a lot. And so like they named this beer that they make in the Bahamas at Kalik because it's the sound of the cowbell. Alright, that's blow your whistle. That was really fun. I'm trying to just look I want to make sure I get Junkanoo correct because I want to be respectful of it. So I'm trying to figure out what it is. The festival may have originated several centuries ago when enslaved descendants of Africans on plantations in the Bahamas celebrated holidays granted around Christmas time with dance, music, and costumes. After emancipation, the tradition continued and Junkanoo evolved from simple origins to a formal organized parade with intricate costumes, themed music, and official prizes within various categories. How cool. Okay. So that's basic of that should look more into it because i just read that from wikipedia so if you're interested google more find out more seems like a really cool thing so while casey and the sunshine band were in the process of recording the album that the label wanted the song rock your baby which they wrote but was recorded by george mccray became a number one hit in several different countries so they're just successful on all fronts writing making their own music they released their debut album in 1975, which started a chain of successful songs. Two different singles from that album hit number one, and they were nominated for four Grammys and won one of them. Nice. This song, called Get Down Tonight, became their first number one. Love this man just dancing with his what trombone. Like that's gotta be so heavy and he's just like going to town. I love it. Look at him back there. I love them. I think that is Finch. The guy in the background on the bass for the song. These horn players are just like iconic. Oh, watch the men dance. Oh, now we're just doing like a like step touch. We got a little kick from that guy though. I'm living for the outfits. We should just, like, bedazzle more things. <laughs> we should! Look at them! They look amazing! Alright, well, let's get down tonight. It's awesome. The band's success lasted until their fifth album in 1979. Their last number one was appropri- appropriately titled Please Don't Go. With disco heavily on the decline by this point, they just couldn't survive. In 1980, TK Records went bankrupt and Casey and the Sunshine Band joined Epic Records. Casey had a hit with more soft rock style duet in the early 80s, but it was far different than his disco hits. In 1985, after a couple of failed albums and songs, the band disbanded as Casey, quote, retired. But a 90s revival in disco brought him out of retirement in 1991, and he reformed the band with mostly new members. His partnership with Richard Finch was still done, though. They've since released a few different compilation albums as well as some new material. Casey also appeared on an episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. 
<laughs> what? I think that he so owns random. restaurants in Florida, maybe. What? I think. I don't know. In 1977, the film Saturday Night Fever was released and was a huge success with one of the highest selling soundtracks of all time. It was inspired by an article in New York Magazine that supposedly told the story of disco culture in the early to mid-70s. But it turns out the writer just kind of made it all up. What? Writers don't do that. (laughs) Some people thought the movie was a watered-down version of disco, making it relatable for heterosexual white people. (laughs) I'm sure it was. (laughs) Also, I think Saturday Night Fever was the highest-selling soundtrack of all time until the most recent great gatsby movie beat it really i think that's what even is on the most recent great gatsby soundtrack a lot like it had a lot of good like hip-hop stuff like it was hip-hop it was was made to be that like hold on let's just google it make sure i'm right (laughs) i'm literally getting my phone right now soundtracks most sold soundtrack all time well, that's just probably not right. What? It says it's the bodyguard from 1992. What? Actually, that might be right. Because it's like Whitney Houston, I think. Yeah, the bodyguard, Whitney Houston in 1990, maybe Whitney Houston, was is number one. Saturday Night Fever is still number two. Oh, Gatsby's not on the list. This is such a funny, like I'm looking at the Great Gatsby soundtrack and this Mm -hmm. is such a weird mix of things. It's got Jay-Z, Beyonce, Andre 3000. But also Florence and the Machine, (laughs) Gautier. I think that movie was by the same guy. The movie is by the same guy who did the new Elvis movie. Ah, two Florence and the Machines, Lana, obviously. That's like, if you asked me who was on the soundtrack, I would have said Lana Del Rey (laughs) and stopped there. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I was wrong about that, but I knew that soundtrack did really well. I don't know. Okay. So Saturday Night Fever, we're back there. Are you paying attention? I'm looking up the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. It's mostly all Bee Gees, but we're going to get there. So despite people thinking that it was a watered down version of disco... Because of the string of hits that the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack created, disco had officially gone mainstream. The Bee Gees became the kings of disco with several major hits. Donna Summer started to write and record disco songs. The band Chic formed and incorporated more elements of psychedelic rock into disco. Hmm. Their song La Freak is seen as an iconic song of the genre. Like Freak Out? Well, we're about to listen to it so you can see. Freak out. I'm so excited for this. So this is like the combination of what? See, you weren't listening because you were looking at your phone. They incorporated psychedelic rock elements into it. I was listening. I just couldn't repeat that. like who did their styling <laughs> Not enough. no they actually just look like they're all 45 yeah. i don't think that they're all 45 literally all of them look like they are at least 35 years old they look like a choir from the southern baptist church they do. It is. I just want to punch their stylist. All right, that's chic. Thanks to several independent labels like TK in Miami and Casablanca in Los Angeles, disco music dominated the airwaves. Established artists like Rod Stewart and the Rolling Stones released songs that were at least heavily inspired by disco, if not outright like disco. What? I don't know. Don't have it here. I'll have to look it up later. Rolling Stones disco. <laughs> How the Rolling Stones embraced disco. 
I'm going to just sit here and read a whole article now. Everyone's saying it's Miss You. I don't know what one that is. Miss You Rolling Stones. Hey. This has been I Side Trail, the podcast. Are you having fun? (laughs) I'm just reading about this song. Mick Jagger and Ronnie Wood insist that Miss You wasn't a disco song, while Keith Richards said it was a really good disco record. And it was calculated <laughs> to be one. So. I trust Keith. Yeah. It was at least heavily inspired if it wasn't an outright disco song. I absolutely trust Keith. <laughs> anyway, thanks to several independent labels like TK in Miami and Casablanca, Disco's exploding yeah went there everyone's doing it everyone's doing the thing but by the early 80s disco music started to decline it was heavily criticized by primarily rock fans who saw it as overproduced and commercial i'm i have to say i'm done with rock fans now (laughs) i'm done okay rock started out as like a social movement Mm -hmm. and like a way to express things and then they're just like now it's just snobbery. Yeah. You don't get to snobberize rock. <laughs> you don't. Like, that's not the, like, stop it. Stop it. Sure. But at this time, even a lot of the disco pioneers started to think that the commercialization of the music started to overpower its roots. I'm sure it did. It was no longer about love and freedom from persecution. It was just kind of cheap, easy music. Even Motown started to make disco with their trademark music creation formula that took a lot of the explosiveness out of music. That's pretty rough. It was around this time that punk really started to gain traction, and Heck. punk artists slash fans could often be very hostile to the disco culture. That, that tracks. Though some of them, like the Sex Pistols in the UK, really enjoyed disco music, others, like the Dead Kennedys, hated it. In their song, Saturday Night Holocaust, the Dead Kennedys compared disco to Germany in the time right before the Nazis took over. This is so interesting. <laughs> knowing where knowing it came from. Knowing where it came yeah. from. It's like how pretentious and then like set out from, I mean, I don't know anything about the Dead Kennedys, but like. Just California punk band in the early 80s. I don't trust them then. No. I mean, they were a good punk band, but I don't trust them to really know anything about what's going on with disco music. Goodness. Um, the Dead Kennedys criticized disco for being escapist and ignoring important things like political policy and social commentary, which it did, but that was by design that's the point. to get people away from that. Yes, that's this is the literally it's like. I'm going to pretend that I am oppressed and be mad about the government. Where, like, on the other side, you have actual, like, oppressed people being like, I need to have some sort of fun and release and, like, yeah. hope. And, like, yeah. it's just, uh, uh, I think I have just discovered a new yardstick for figuring out how pretentious <laughs> you are. And it's whether or not you like disco. <laughs> I also think it's fair to say that people like the dead kennedys probably had no idea where this music came from that's the problem yeah, like they didn't know the roots and the history behind it they just saw it as like frill and cheap eat like because they're getting the bubblegum pop they're, they're getting like, top the bg's billboard. version yeah of disc the bg's were never oppressed they are not marginalized people <laughs> so they're getting that version of it and not the like 1974 new york club scene version of it yeah so that's probably what they were pushing back against was that more so than the like actual roots of it this but is a reminder know, to so. me to not talk shit about <laughs> stuff that i don't know about <laughs> that's fair yeah because look how dumb they look 
But also, I think a lot of people don't know that history of disco. Like, I didn't really know it before doing this. Yeah. So, like, I probably would have also said, oh, it's just, like, silly, easy dance music. Like, it doesn't sure. have a deeper meaning. Sure. So, like, I feel like unless you look into it, you're not going to know. And then you can very easily just discount it. Anyway, July 12th, 1979 became known as the day that disco died. Which is crazy that there's, like, an actual pinpoint date. Two rock station DJs used a baseball doubleheader as a protest against disco music, as you do. I don't understand that <laughs> sentence. Should I understand that sentence? I do. There was just a doubleheader. Do you know what a doubleheader baseball game is? So when there's back two back-to-back back back. games, yeah. They used that to like stage a protest against this music being popular, which seems like a ridiculous thing to do. To me, like, who cares? <laughs> Why are you protesting this? What? <laughs> I don't know. But they called it Disco Demolition Night. Oh, my God. That sounds like such a party if, like, the disco people actually got a hold of yeah. it. Can you imagine the theme? <laughs> like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> they the, didn't invent a new dance and everything. They staged it as a promotional gambit for rock fans, which I can understand that. Like, if you know that rock fans are, like, hating disco... And you want to just create like a rock festival? Why not frame it around like anti-disco thing? But like, what? It's a baseball game. Like, what are you? <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. Yeah, are the baseball people like really into like rock and roll and like anger? Like, it's baseball. <laughs> yeah, I, well, they exploded disco records in between the two games. I don't think that they would let us do that at our like <laughs> baseball so stadiums. But the crowd, stirred into a frenzy, ended up starting a riot. What? Why? <laughs> I couldn't imagine that happening. They stormed the field, started fires, and generally destroyed whatever part of the stadium that they could. I think that's why they don't let you blow things up. <laughs> After that night, the decline in disco popularity was super rapid. By September, so two months later there were no disco songs in the top 10 and there were six of them in the top 10 in july that's actually like pretty sad because yeah it's just that the mainstream got a hold of it and just and commercialized yeah, it, it and ran it to the ground and then the second that like it's not cool and mainstream anymore the whole genre gets like just like shot down and then we all have just kind of like a joke about disco in our heads but like oh yeah like yeah it's so cool like that's sad yeah it is by the early 80s disco was kind of seen as a joke radio djs would make fun of it it would be the punchline of some comedies like a joke in the movie airplane it was no longer a hip thing it was basically dead with disco dying, several record companies were forced to fold or sell. Many of the super successful disco, disco artists struggled to adapt. Even the Bee Gees, who were arguably the most popular disco act of all time, only managed to get one other song in the top ten in 1989 for like the rest of their career. However, some artists managed to transition and stay successful. People like the Jackson 5, Donna Summer, and Cool and the Gang. Despite being an ultimately short-lived phenomenon in music history, disco impacted dance music culture forever. It started DJ culture. It inspired a lot of early hip-hop so and house cool. music. Basically, any dance-forward music after disco owes a massive debt of gratitude to disco. Like, if you were to ask me, like, what started freaking, like, DJs? You would guess hip-hop? I would not guess disco. <laughs> I would guess hip-hop. Oh, but then for hip hop to like have roots in disco, yeah. like that's insane. Yeah. I really am. I'm excited about <laughs> disco now. Good. Well, next episode, we're talking about the Bee Gees. Okay. And then get to the good part. Well, ABBA is after that. Yes. <laughs> but I will say after writing this episode on disco, I was like, I don't want to talk about the Bee Gees for this. Because like. No, now that I know the roots of it, yeah. the Bee Gees are straight white men 
And I don't like that's not what disco was. It's not where it came from. But for a music history pat podcast, you can't not talk about the Bee Gees. Like I they were know about so them important anyway. But like that, like and also on the one hand, like I'm not disrespecting the Bee Gees because the Bee Gees I feel like are very underrated. <laughs> like they had a massive career before disco even happened. They just kind of stumbled into it. Someone asked them to write the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever, and they were like, "All right, fine." And did like they stumbled into it. They had a big career before that. Like they're they're just kind of tied in. Like, oh, you're that disco band that sings in a falsetto. But they had like they were very talented musicians before that. So like it is. I do like that we're talking about them. I think you need to know about them. But they're just not what disco came from. They Mm might have been the biggest artist, but they're not where it came from. It just, it would have taken so much to talk about like any of the early pioneers because people aren't writing online articles about them. (laughs) Like they had like maybe one hit if they were lucky. Their Wikipedia articles are probably like three paragraphs. Like it's just, it would take a lot for me to like research and write the episode. On a whole, yeah. On any of the early people who weren't like superstar. Like the Bee Gees, it was easy to find information about them. It would have Mm -hmm. been way harder to find information on anyone of the early people. Other than maybe like Gloria Gaynor, but she was much more than just disco. Well, that was really fun to like hear yeah. little bits of her. Like, I think that this yeah. is a fun little highlight reel. This episode is. Cool. I tried to do it because like some of those be- people who are releasing those big songs, they just don't have detailed histories. Like mm-hmm. the Rock Your Baby guy, like I couldn't find anything about him. Like you just, you can't find these people because they weren't the commercial popular ones. Anyway, that was disco. I think it was fun. I, I love it. disco. I feel a connection to disco. I <sighs> am going to find all of the disco influenced music and put it in a playlist and listen to it. Maybe it will wake my brain up. <laughs> okay. So yeah, as we talked about, next episode will be Bee Gees. One after that is a bonus episode on ABBA. Since they're not disco... They're just kind of everything. They're amazing. They're, I think they are the definition of just pop. Like I can't <laughs> think of anything else they to classify them That's as so other than just pop. But anyway, we talk about them and then we do a drastic change again to punk. Yes. <laughs> we talk about punk music and then we'll get into like new wave and probably some R&B. I'm very and excited. And we'll be done with the 70s. I'm very excited. This is fun music. This is fun music? This is fun. That is disco. Disco is fun music. All right. Anything else to say? If you have modern songs that you think belong, or not modern songs that you think belong in my disco playlist, tweet them at me. I hope I don't forget that I want to do this. I want to find I want to find them I like it and also look on our Twitter so you can see the link to my book if you're interested in it okay goodbye goodbye